Good afternoon. It is Friday, June 24th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group. And I am just so, so excited. And I know I use that term, uh, you know, fairly freely. But as I was just explaining to one of our authors who's on the call today, I get uh, just bombarded with so many books from authors who want to be on the show that I never, ever, even on the books that I want to read, I never get a chance to plow through them. And when I got this book, uh, which is called What I Learned About Life When My Husband Got Fired, is, uh, I don't know, I don't have a ruler here, but it's well (laughs) over an inch thick. And I was so daunted because I thought if there's any book I want to read, it's this one. And uh, I was sharing with Black, uh, who is one of the authors on the phone uh, that early this morning I got up because I was about uh, more than three-quarters of the way through, and I still had like 30 or 40 pages to read. And I have to admit, I, I did predict uh, the ending. And uh, and I guess uh, because I'm so much like Black. So this book is written by two sisters, and they go by the names of Red and Black. And uh, we're, we're just going to call them that today. And when Patty uh, first lined them up, I said, you know, no, 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 I need to call them Tina and Mandy. She's like, no, you need to call them Red and Black. And I thought, well, are they militant about this or what? But I'm going to let you guys do your introductions and then we will jump right into this book, which is all about a real approach to personal finance and prioritizing your life. And I'm going to go one step further and say that this is one of the most definitive relationship books uh, that I've ever read. And I know you guys didn't intend for it to be that, but uh, I'm setting you up. So, um, Black, I'm going to let you start because I'm afraid if we let Red start, we won't be able to stop her. So, uh, oh, you two really did get a few words in before I had a chance. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, we did. But um, <laughs> anyway, Black's name is Mandy. Yeah. Um, and you are the older sister, correct? I tell her the older and wiser sister. Ah, okay. And uh, I guess my she she claims my life reads like a Judith Krantz novel. Uh, to me, my life seems rather normal. Um, I left home when I was. You 16. are clearly jaded, by the way. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I left home when I was sixteen, off to college, off to conquer the world. Uh, ended up picking uh, an industry I thought would never have a downturn: the oil and gas industry. So now we've established how, how astute I am when it comes to business, and proceeded to ride the ups and downs of the oil and gas industry, and then retired by the time I was. 40. Um, I seem to always be in the right place at the right time and, and see opportunities. Um, retired by the time I was 40, became bored and raced cars, because isn't that what everyone picks up as a hobby? And I guess, you know, looking looking back, I just went through a lot of aspects of life early. I made a lot of mistakes um, on the financial front pretty early and got them out of the way, got way in debt over my head, even though I had a master's in international finance. I should have known better. But I pretty much figured it out by, you know, the time I was in my mid-20s. And I'm going to fast forward and let Red explain how it, it all started and a little bit of her background. Well, if if Black's life is more like a Judith Krantz novel, I like to refer to myself as more of a mere mortal. Um, in fact, even so much of a mere mortal that I was almost an ostrich with my head in the sand because unlike Black, who went out to conquer the world when she was 
16 or something, I was, you know, went to my parents' home. I went off to university, got a great college degree that I did nothing with, theater arts. Promptly moved back in with my parents, um, where I proceeded to live with them until I got married. And then I traveled the world as a corporate wife. And again, just kind of like I always let my parents take care of everything, um, I then just let my husband take care of everything. So somehow or another, um, I was leading a great life, or so I thought. Everything was perfect. I was 40-plus years old. Someone had always taken care of everything. As, as Black likes to point out, I managed to escape a lot of basic life realities um, until my husband came home one rainy Friday afternoon, um, totally out of the blue. This was in 2004, so this is, you know, before the economy took, you know, the downturn it did, and proceeded to tell me, you know, when I asked him, well, you know, how was your day, dear? Because we used to have these conversations that no one believes we actually had, but we did, that were like, well, how was your day? And I go, oh, it was great. I'm making dinner. How was yours? And he'd tell me how he conquered the business world. And on this one particular Friday, he proceeded to tell me how he had gotten fired. And so it was at that point where I did what any self-respecting grown-up, you know, woman does, and I waited till everybody was asleep, and I sent my sister an email. And I was pretty much looking to her because she was the MBA and she was, you know, the businesswoman to pretty much just tell me what to do. And instead, I got something very, very different, which ultimately led to the book that we're talking about today. Well, and let me uh, just interject uh, because I always comment on how books are laid out and structured, and this one is so completely different than uh, than what we are normally looking at. And we've looked at the topic of personal finance and money, and we've talked about relationships, and we've talked about a lot of those things. But normally we're talking about leadership and growth, and the books are either written from someone's experience or they're written uh, interviewing a bunch of different people for the book. And, you know, I'm a sucker for books that are laid out really nicely and, and uh, you know, that are easy to understand. And when I opened this book, um, and again, I, I was daunted by how fat it was, but when I saw how it was laid out, and, and just to clue our listeners in, the book is written recapping the dialogue between the sisters, which uh, largely had to be re- recreated when they were talking about phone calls and, and instant messages. But a lot of it was done uh, in the form of email for very good reason, which I'll, I'll let Black tell you. But So what they've done, and the book actually uses both red and black text, and so anytime red is talking... Uh, it is prefaced uh, with the color red, so that you you don't have to make the mental shift of you know you know Mandy said and then Tina said uh, you know the whole book it just gets you in that framework of red and black and the sisters could not be more different. I don't know how many of our listeners have sisters. I happen to have two sisters that you know are as completely different from me as the two of you are. But but each of the three of us are different in many, many different ways. I'm the youngest of three. I am the most like black. Uh, but as I was sharing with Mandy uh, before Red got on the phone, um, over the course of the last six years, because of some challenges in my own marriage, I actually had to step back from being the leader of my home and because I'd been the breadwinner for 20 years. And I actually had to just say, uh, and first it was just words. 
I had to say he was the leader of our home, and part of that was completely acquiescing the the finances to him. So I became, uh, in many ways, a little bit like Red during that period. So I have to admit that while I was reading, I felt a little bit schizophrenic because I was just jumping back and forth between, uh, you know, the empathy with each of you. Um, but of course, you know, because I'm closer in nature and and you know background and and business to Mandy, uh, you know, again, I, I uh, gravitated back toward her. So, anyway, uh, the one thing that you guys will love when you read this book is uh, again that it it is not a how-to in in the fact that it you know it's writing you know if you do this you can accomplish this it's the advice from one sister to another sometimes well received other times not <laughs> and uh again i i one thing i wanted to know and and that isn't spelled out clearly here first of all um what's the age difference between the two of you five years and she's five years the older okay well that's sister also. yes yes we've already, already established <laughs> the that too. yes we know well, I've got a sister who's six years older and one who's three years older. So, you know, if we shake that up in the in a bag, it's about the same. But um, the one thing I want to know is, was the intensity of your the 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 intensity and frequency of your conversation, whether it be by phone, email, or text, was it as uh, frequent before the book, before the incident? Um, you know, or is this the the way that you guys had always communicated? Well, I think that for the longest time we we not only didn't live in the same city we didn't live in the same country so the time zone difference we we really didn't communicate um, on a regular basis Um, once she moved back to the states that changed and once she gave me my beautiful nieces of course um, things changed right so we we did communicate on a fairly regular basis not to the extreme that comes across in the book but when she went through her phrase, crisis, um, everything changed at that point, and she was busy panicking on a almost hourly basis. <laughs> but, but one thing I have to say, though, and this is so funny, when, when someone else was, was interviewing us, you know, he sat down and he kind of pats the book, and he goes, you know, the conversations, because as you said, you know, the book is 90%, you know, our conversations, it's IMs, it's emails, it's phone conversations, and I, I'll tell you a funny story about that later. But he kind of pats the book and he goes, so, you know, the tone of the book and the dialogue, if you would, you know, you kind of beefed it up to make it sound better because it's a book. And we kind of looked at each other and we went, no, actually we toned it down because we didn't think anybody would believe we were that different, <laughs> that extreme. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, sounds good, these authors, right? We finished this sort of breakfast come interview. It ended up being way more of a chat than anything else. And after about an hour and a half, he goes, we're starting to leave and we're saying goodbye and we're now best pals at this point. He goes, oh, by the way, you're right, you toned it down. So so although, as Black said, our conversations may not have been as frequent, because, I mean, I, was just, I just had her, you know, talking to me all the time in some format, but the tone of the conversations is definitely us. Right, right. Well, I, I could tell, because, again, I don't, I don't think it's something that you could have, um, it, you couldn't have even made it up. Well, no. It, oh, if you know that, what I mean. And that is, I have to tell you this story, because, you know, my husband comes home, he tells me he's fired, you know, in less less than a month. I mean, it was probably three weeks, if that. You know, I'm, I'm talking with her, and I notice that she's taking notes. And I'm getting really pissed off because I'm still early on in my crisis, and the world does revolve around me, and I want her total and complete attention. 
And so I kind of, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you taking notes on? And she kind of looks at me and she goes, oh, well, this is all going to make a great book one day. And I'm like, excuse me, you're taking notes because this is going to make a great book. You know, my crisis <laughs> is going to make a great book. Do I? Am I understanding this clearly? And I chime in and I'm like, you know, yes. And I said, and, and other people may need this. And, and she's busy saying, I'm having a crisis and you're coming up with a business venture. And my, you know, I replied to her, I can multitask. I really don't see what the problem is here. And that's how the book came about. Yeah, because unbeknownst to me, as I found out later, you know, because right around this time, you know, I noticed that, gosh, you know, gee, Black's starting to IM me. She doesn't normally IM me. Normally she emails. Well, I found out later it's because she was saving all of the Right, yeah, because she can log them. Yeah, you, uh, once I found the trick that you could log on and save your instant messages, I went, oh, this is great because we can have this conversation. And it, it, she didn't pick up on that until after she saw me writing notes, notes one day because right. it was like, okay, this is where well, the I am so plausible. From. It was so plausible, the whole notion of putting it down in an email because Red needed to read and reread and, and absorb and Black didn't really have the time to walk through it multiple times, nor, nor would nor the inclination. Nor the patience. Right, the inclination. It's just not yeah. who you are. So that part made total sense. And I thought, boy, how how often you know should I have done that? Uh, and, and actually, you know, one of the interesting things that came out of this book for me was a desire to be more involved in my sister's lives. And my my oldest sister. Uh, who is 60, uh, just this morning had a pacemaker put in. And yesterday I was talking to her, and we don't normally talk by phone. We, you know, normally just I am. And, uh, you know, she was telling me how old it made her feel to be getting a pacemaker. And I thought, you know, wow. I, I, and, and, again, I wouldn't have appreciated the conversation as much, um, you know, having not just come off of reading your book, because it really made me have a, a deep desire to have a closer relationship with the people who are in my life. So that, that again, is one of those unintended outcomes, I think, of your book. We've had a lot of unintended <laughs> outcomes from our book. No kidding. Now, there's an understatement for you. Yes. Somehow with that title, it's hard to imagine a bunch of high school students walking around with a book titled What I Learned About Life When My Husband Got Fired as right. a textbook. So I don't know how more off track I, I could have gotten this. Well, but, you know, and, and again, I don't know whether I said this after I started the recording or whether it was just before, but I started reading this book on my way back from Phoenix where my daughter had been at camp. And the camp that she went to was a camp called Wings to Fly, which is about building lifelong self-esteem in, in uh, teen girls. And so I wasn't yet sure, you know, everything that she had gone through. And, and um, you know, we were a bit on overload because it had been an hour and a half drive from the camp down to the airport. And so I got on, on the plane and she started uh, listening to music and my husband was watching a movie and I was sitting in the middle and I pulled the book out. And I didn't get but, I don't know, 20 or 30 pages into the book and I'm like pulling her earphones out of her uh, ears <laughs> saying, Kira, you got to read this when I'm done with this. Oh, I bet and, that went over know, well. <laughs> well, no. I mean, she's a very curious child, and I mean, she's uh, way, way uh, older than her her years. And 
she's like, well, tell me about them. And and so she's going to be just so excited, uh, you know, that I actually interviewed you. I'm not sure I told her about that, but of course she knows that I interview authors all the time. But yeah, I can absolutely see this as a textbook. I was sharing uh, with Black before you got on the phone, Red, that um, a couple of years ago I started uh, teaching Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which is a 13-week course. And it is uh, about... Well, it's an hour, hour and a half of Dave Ramsey on video, and he's very entertaining and and a a lot of storytelling uh, in his approach and then, uh, you know, some facilitated questions at the end. And your book has uh, every bit as much content as what's covered in that 13-week course. So I can absolutely see this as a basis, again, for workshops in not only how to deal with the mechanics of finance, of everything from, you know, how to look at your assets and your liabilities, uh, you know, in real terms of, you know, a stack of bills and sorting them in Ziploc bags, all the way down to really all the interaction about money. And, you know, I have to admit that, uh, read that, you know, about halfway in the book, I mean, I was just so anxious to know what was going on in your husband's head, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> and I wanted to just say, okay, well, let me read his book, you know, uh, in, in parallel to this, because it, it would be so interesting to know, and, and you do give some insight into it from his reactions, but, but really what was going on in his head was probably a whole bunch of relief that you had taken this off of him at this particular time. But why don't, why don't you fill us in a little no, bit No, and, that? and that's exactly right. I mean, he... He he was well aware. Obviously, I didn't go from being a, a cookie baking mom, you know, to all of a sudden. And I, I'm sorry, I had a laugh when you said assets and liabilities, because on that Monday after he was fired, on the Friday, I proceeded to um, when when Black wanted to take me through and start with you know basic finance. And she said, well, we're going to start with your assets and liabilities. And although you can't actually see me um, at the time, my eyes started to glaze over and I started to freak out because I was telling her how I couldn't possibly, you know, do assets and liabilities. I mean, did she forget I was the theater major, you know, not the MBA? Of course, she reminded me that based on how dramatic I was acting and freaking out, of course she remembered I was a theater major. Um, And at that point, she said, well, let me rephrase instead of saying assets and liabilities. She goes, we're just going to look at what you own versus what you owe. Right. And I kind of calm down. I go, well, no, I can handle looking at what I own versus what we owe. I just can't handle assets and liabilities, you know. And she's just like, <laughs> and that's that where it all started. And I realized this was going to be a really long, tedious trip. <laughs> yeah, like a, a what two or three months uh, conversation. I, I was like, okay, and I, I started thinking to myself, how could she not know this? And then right. the more I thought about it, the more I realized, how would she know this? I mean, if we're not taught it in school and we never have to take care of these things, what would be the reason to know these if you're just not, you know, curious? And right. so I didn't realize how sheltered she had been until we started with what she owns versus what she owes because the concept of assets and liabilities scared her. And over time, I think she she became more comfortable and realized it was the terminology that right. was creating the roadblocks. She was creating mental roadblocks due to terminology mm-hmm. because once she realized how basic the concepts were, she was like, oh, I can do this. I was like, yes. Right. And that's what yeah, we're finding exactly. so much of that, you know, when we're when we're doing speaking engagements, when we're talking to people who read the book, and because I thought I was the anomaly. I thought everybody was more like black, you know, and that I was the odd one out, and 
that's something that even amazes me today is that no, so many people are more like me. And a lot of the roadblocks for others is exactly what mine was. It was the, it's the terminology. You hear finance and you think, ooh, I can't do that. I don't have the training in it. Um, whereas the reality of it is so much of it is, is very, very simple to understand. It's just as Black said, you know, unless you've had experience with it or someone takes the time to, to explain it because te- no one's really teaching it. But none right. of this is difficult. I mean... And one of the things well, but, that, but what you observe and when you look at, you know, one of the core learning pieces from this book is that when you look at someone's life from the outside in, um, you think you know what you're seeing. And, mm-hmm. and Red, even with you, I mean, yep. Nick was an international executive. You guys moved, you know, to some pretty exotic places. And and you had what would have looked uh, like a storybook life to someone like me who, while I've traveled extensively internationally, I've always had the weight of, of the bread winning, you know, right. on my Whereas shoulders. Me, and so, yeah. Not only did my life, you know, just as a for example, probably looked like that, I was in that and it looked like it to me as well. But that was because I didn't, I wasn't aware of what was going, you know, what was going on. I, w- I wasn't involved mm. in the family's finances. Um, right. But you're exactly right, and that again is something else we've discovered. Is that right? And you took security. Yeah, you took security um, as a given in your life, which is why when Nick lost his job, it was so much of having the rug pulled out from under you. Whereas Black's security was very much self-made. However, you know, clearly Black, when you married Larry, uh, Larry had you know pretty substantial assets. Well, he, he just though, allowed me, you know, the the price of my toys just increased, basically. Right. But, you know, I had already retired before Larry and I got married. Right. Um, I had made a career out of severance packages. Being in the oil and gas industry, losing your job was nothing new. And for the most part, it was it was the easiest way to save large amounts of money was because they paid you to leave. And because I was one of the few females in the industry, I was able to... I was very fortunate in that I could find other jobs, and so it was. You know, my savings mechanism was severance packages. So I had a very different perspective. And then once I was involved with the company and stock options came into the picture, I was astute enough to negotiate and give up some salary in exchange for more stock options, and mm-hmm. that gave me the luxury of being able to ultimately retire before I was forty. Right. So um, very different perspective on things and I, and I realize what I was that, gonna say is that that as as this crisis hit red uh, i I can only imagine that it would have been very easy for her to sit back and just ask you for a loan I mean easy no because uh you know she clearly didn't do that. But, you know, to sit and look at, at how uh, comfortable she saw you. And, again, some of your comfort was uh, a little bit of an illusion because of Larry's uh, financial situation and the fact that, that you had this prenuptial that, you know, didn't have community property and you were living, you know, in, in a house that you end up referring to as his house instead of your house, uh, you know, together. So um, those dynamics I found really, really interesting throughout the book and, um you know, so don't know what think, you guys want to say about that. Big, but 
No, and, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. I think what Black recognized right at the beginning, I mean, and it's not you know, very much to her credit, was, you know, I, looked at, I was looking for her, yes, to give me answers. You know, I'm not right. sure I was looking at her so much for um, a big fat check, though that probably would have been very welcomed in the first week or so, but I was really looking at her for answers, which in some yeah, ways... It wouldn't have solved it, the problem, by the no, way. No, exactly that. I mean, give me a check, <laughs> it would have answers, it's, it. it's the same thing. You know, you're, you're not really getting to the root of understanding, and she needed, for me, and again, she recognized this early on, and, I, and it doesn't matter, you know, what how much money you have or not have, it's getting to understand why are you making the decisions you're making. I mean, you know, for for example, you know, the first week, you know, I'm cutting back on everything because I don't yet know what we own and what we owe. And, um, you know, and my daughter's having a swimming lesson, and I'm on the phone with Black, and I'm like, okay, what what story am I going to make up for Chris? That was the instructor, you know, because we're going to have to cancel this. I don't want to spend the money. And I'm, you know, I'm doing my normal freak out thing, and when I finally finished, you know, talking or babbling, as, as Black would say, she's like, you're not going to cancel the lesson, you're going to keep it keep it going, you know, Natasha's life and routine, you don't want to disturb that, it's a safety issue, you have a swimming pool in the back, and I said, well, that's all fine and good, but, you know, how do I know what's smart spending, what's stupid spending, you know, and which kind of goes to this idea of, you know, not being handed the answer, and she right. proceeds to tell me, have you ever, you know, did you ever think before you spend, you know, think first. Well, of course, I think that's some sarcastic answer, and, you know, I get off the phone as quickly as I can, but then when I stopped and thought about it, I went, my goodness, you know, we we did all of these financial purchases, and we never thought once before we spent. Right. And, again, it's getting to the heart of, you know, why are you spending it? Do you need it? Mm-hmm. Do you want it? You know, and, and it was only through getting me to understand all those things could I actually make lasting change, and not to sound like right. a cliche, but lasting positive change. So she – so handing me a check, handing me the answers would would not have been the right decision, and thank God she didn't. Well, and the the thing was, I mean, she did turn to me wanting answers. She wanted a get-quick-rich book, you know, just tell me what to do. And she has, you know, two beautiful daughters, and I have two beautiful race cars. I mean, our family tree is very interesting, but (laughs) our priorities are different. So I can't tell her what's important to her, no more so than I could tell you what's important to you. Right. So all I could do was get her to, I would ask questions so that she could figure out what really was important, whether it was how she spent her money, how she spent her time. Right. It, so it was a learning process. And, you know, it over time, things were just, you could see, fall into place. Right. And, well, I, you know, I will tell you one of my observations throughout this, because um, always, as Patty and I try to figure out who to have on on the show because our the women in the executive girlfriends group are black you know they they are they are who black is they are type a they don't drive race cars all of them in fact i'm not sure any of them do but they are all women who would consider themselves savvy now the degree of their financial savviness you know, maybe uh, is all over the map, but they're all type A. You know, they are all very successful in their own right, whether they are entrepreneurs or corporate executives. But all of them, through the course of the last three years, in in watching what has happened to their friends and family, know that no one is immune to that rainy Friday. Okay, where you know you think you're indispensable to your company, and you come home and and you're having to tell your spouse that you're the one 
who has been let go. And if you're the breadwinner in the family, uh-oh. Um, you know, I have my situation is actually quite different where uh, five years ago I told my husband I didn't want to consult anymore. And I, I had had a 10-year-old very successful consulting firm. And he looked at me like I had horns coming out of my head. And, you know, at first he thought it was just because I had just come back from, um, I had just had surgery. And I had been out for three months, and I came back to the office and said, honey, I don't want to be here. And he looked at me, and it's like, oh, we'll go home, you know, put your feet up. You don't have to come back, you know, and work a full day the first day. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be here. And so, you know, we proceeded on our odyssey, which, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I do want to just let you know, since we didn't have this time to talk up front, is we ended up building a new technology company, and I raised $7 million and a, a a significant chunk for us was our money. It wasn't a significant portion of, of the seven million, um, but but uh, everything we had, uh, our life savings, uh, you know, second mortgages, uh, you know, borrowing money against my consulting business, uh, you know, just being the ultimate in leveraged. And and my husband, who is less risk uh, oriented than I am, uh, I would say he's more more like red. Um, followed me and facilitated my uh, risk-taking to the point where we put everything on the line and the business was not successful. And uh, we ended up, uh, you know, essentially losing everything and, um, you know, having to file personal bankruptcy and and to the point where, you know, we're just on the other side of that. But I wouldn't change a thing because the learning that I went through both personally and professionally was just unbelievable. Um, and our marriage is so rock solid as compared to what was at the, the beginning of this. So let, let's turn to the talk of marriage because, um, Red, you know, clearly you and Nick uh, had to go through some pretty rough times in the beginning. And uh, because we never really heard much of his side of the story, what was your marriage like during those times? Well, as you can imagine, he had worked for the same company for 20-some-odd years. So when he was fired, I mean, it was a huge shock. And as you already guessed, I mean, during the time period that this book covers, I mean, he was just, just greatly relieved, I think, that I had black to turn to. Um, they had actually gone um, to, to the same business school, London Business School, so he was, you know, and he had consulted with her on some financial matters over the years, so he knew, you know, because obviously, you know, I didn't just all of a sudden turn from being this mom making, you know, roast chicken dinner right. at night to all of a sudden actually knowing what assets and liabilities meant. So he knew I was, you know, turning to her, and he was just very, very relieved. Um, and in terms of our relationship, I mean, there, there, there's that one chapter that I kind of still kind of sit back and giggle, you know, when I when I read it because so much of it is is you know it was it was communication, you know, and just keeping the communication going. And, and again, that's where Black was just so useful, and in many ways, how the book you know started with personal finance, but how it, it did ultimately touch time management and relationships and all these other things right. because obviously, you know, I was talking to her or I'd make a passing comment about, you know, Nick or something. And so we do talk a little bit about, you know, relationships in the book as well. Right. Well, uh, again, you know, I, I guess it depends on, on what mindset you're reading the book from because I felt like it was all about relationship. <laughs> and and even, even the sharing uh, and imparting of the wisdom and and it went both ways i mean you know clearly 
Black was going through her own story throughout the book, which uh, because she isn't as touchy-feely and, and talking about what's going on in her life as much. She was taking in everything that was being said and, and applying it to her own situation, you know, which doesn't come to light until the end of the book. Exactly, exactly. Because as you said, I'm, I'm very much, and I'm, I'm sure listeners you know, have already figured this one out, I'm definitely the warm and fuzzy side of this twosome. So, <laughs> but yes, no, she obviously was taking it all, all on board and in, in, in just her advice in, in relationships um, is very pragmatic. I will give her right. that. <laughs> but there's so many similarities. I mean, how you treat people and how you communicate is really consistent or should be consistent across the board, whether it's your sister, your spouse, your children, your employees, your, your coworkers. And it's just treating people openly and fairly and being honest. And right. so a lot of things um, that came up in I would draw those parallels. Um, there, there's a chapter where I actually, you know, compare her to, you know, to a full-time employee who has to work 24/7. Because I mean, right. I've never had children. When you have children, I mean, you basically are on call 24/7, and vacations are just a change of scenery. I mean, right. you're still a mom. I mean, that that goes with you. But a lot of it, you know, I was using examples from my experience I had as a manager and in corporate life. And it it just it holds true. I mean, communication is the key, independent of what relationship or what situation we're talking about. Right. You know, but it, it occurred to me again. One of the reasons why I asked whether your level of communication escalated during this time uh, is, you know, Black's husband Larry. They they clearly had a a, a weekly routine of going out for dinner. And, you know, I kind of read into it as I'm, I'm reading along that as you guys were talking more, um, somehow uh, that was draining you, Black. And it would, it would have me simply if it was an unusual level of communication. Um, and, and so the, the weekly dinners seemed to change over time, you know, more and more of where it was, uh, you know, just not a lot of dialogue, a lot of wine drinking and great food but that the dynamics were changing on your side because of what was going on uh, in, you know, and I'll, I'll use this word, servicing your sister's current crisis. And, you know, I think all of us go through that in different phases of our lives. And, and you know, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a best friend. Uh, you know, I'm just coming off of my, my best friend has been, uh, you know, suffering from, from cancer and, ha, you know, right now is is uh, absolutely on top and is a survivor and, and we're praying that uh, you know that it stays that way. But you know, you look at at how being there for someone changes you and changes your availability in your own life, whether it be to your business and being able to focus 100% on your business life. Um, you know, we've had people in the executive girlfriends group who have gone through you know, lots of different similar things in their lives, you know, close friends losing a job, uh, you know, daughters having, you know, premature babies and, and you know, all different kinds of things that pull us. And and so, Black, I'd, I'd be interested in just hearing uh, whether you were as aware during that time of what was happening to you as a result of all of this dialogue. Or was well, it I'm, just great fodder for the book? Um, I think to a great extent, my life and the, the it was 
with the exception of like maybe two or three nights a month, I mean, we ate out every single night. Mm-hmm. And it had always, for the most part, been monologues on, on my part. I think at time, and, and when you, you get to the you know one of the chapters where I, I talk about Make-A-Wish and my involvement in Make-A-Wish, I think there, because of what I was going through with Red, it was making me take a look at what was truly important to me and what trade-offs I may or may not have made mm-hmm. in my life. I don't think it impacted uh, my relationship with Larry in the sense of how much time and energy I was spending on Red because we didn't we didn't have a lot of communicating, Larry and I. So that didn't change. I think that the bigger impact was as I was making her think about what, her values and priorities were, I was taking a step back and reevaluating mine, right. hmm. which is a good thing to do. I mean, yes. you, you need to do that a lot of times. I mean, Red's situation is a perfect example. I mean, she never would have taken a step back and looked at things or learned things if it hadn't been for a crisis which forced it. I mean, you listen right. you know, to, to your situation, you know, from the outside, you you would listen to, you know, you put everything at risk and it turned out it wasn't the best decision, but a lot of good came out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and I, I have to interject at that at this point, if I may. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And when you said, you know, I believe you said you wouldn't have, you would do it all over again, you know, and right. it's exactly the same thing with this um, and this crisis, if you would. And that's very much, and I'm thinking right now, very much the dynamics um, between me and my two daughters you know, mm-hmm. who, who are now 13 and 8. But, you know, this took place five years ago. And one of the things, and this is why I'll often say I would do, I would have all this happen again in a heartbeat because what it did is it made me realize not only was I not aware of basic personal finance and, and the, you know, the impact it has, but by not realizing that, if this crisis hadn't happened, I never would have been in a position to be able to teach my girls right. about personal finance. So instead, I mean, you know, I've had this incredible opportunity to make sure that they don't essentially, I mean, yes, they may make the same mistakes, but it won't be because they're not aware. And so, you know, just when you talk about, you know, dynamics of relationships and how things like this can make such a difference, I mean, to me, the the single best thing that came out of this is that opportunity that I've had with my daughters and then, which I guess is why when all of a sudden we somehow went from being launched by Neiman Marcus to be, you know being approved by the state of Texas as a financial literacy textbook. I mean, whoever right. would have thought that? And I see the opportunity in high school seniors are, are, are all of a sudden going, okay, no, no one's ever taught us this. We never realized this. And realizing the impact such basic information um, can have, it's, it's just very, very right. gratifying. Well, there, there's another, uh, well, I've got a, a zillion ideas for you guys, but um, one that you might want to look into. We've got something here in Florida called Enterprise Village, and uh, kids, uh, they, they actually start uh, when they're in fourth grade, and they go to Enterprise Village, and they, they have a job um, during the day, and, and they're each assigned a job. And it, it's a little cute little village, and they've gotten sponsorship 
from different corporations. And so you've got everything from a McDonald's and you've got, uh, you know, a Verizon store and a bank and, um, you know, I think they've even got uh, the museum and, and different things. And so the kids are, are prepared in their math class for this thing. But uh, then they go back, and I'm forgetting what the, the counterpart is that the high schoolers come back and do. But this one is more oriented toward budgeting. And, and you're, when you walk in, you're given a, a persona. And that persona might be you're a blue-collar worker. Um, and you've got this much money, and you have to decide whether you can go out to eat at all uh, and whether you can afford to join the health club. And, and again, it's got all these businesses that are sponsors. But it would be fascinating to add to that your book as a textbook and then add in the relationship dimension, particularly for the older kids who, you know, you come in and, yeah, you've got this job, but your spouse just found out they lost their job or you just found out that uh, you're going to be single. (laughs) So uh, anyway, it would be very, very interesting to see that. So, you know, I'd like to wrap up with talking about the seven points, uh, Red, that you uh, articulate at the end. And, you know, for those who have not read uh, this book, which again is called What I Learned About Life When My Husband Got Fired, A Real Approach to Personal Finance and Prioritizing Your Life. Um, Red is a chronic list maker. Can I say that, Red? Oh, I think it's an understatement. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, that's I was definitely a fair statement. I was exhausted uh, by your list making simply because I am not a list maker. And, I, you know, I thought, oh, my God, she would think that I couldn't ever make it through life because everything's in my head or everything's in my email. And uh, anyway, but she, she put one more uh, or the last list she called, uh, you know, always one more list. But it starts with taking her head out of the sand and you know it it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that she couldn't ask black for help and keep her head in the sand that was not an option no definitely not <laughs> um, no but it the, was like if you want my help i'll give it to you but if you're not going to listen i don't need to do this you know i, I don't need right. the exercise and the information that black had to share with red was overwhelming when you're starting from a blank sheet of paper where you've always trusted someone else to take care of things. And uh, so the, the well, actually, I don't want to go on to the second one yet, uh, yet, because what I want to tell you is that even women who are more like black, um, I think it, this will even resonate with them, that there are things that we all do to keep our head in the sand. One of them uh, is not planning properly for retirement and believing as we look at the brochures of Seaborn and the QE2 or what or the QE whatever that goes all all around the world and you know people spend six months on the ship and we envision ourselves there, but we haven't always planned for it. So. You know, I think the big wake-up call for me reading this book was that there were more places, even though I now, you know, again, I do consider myself very financially astute, um, I do still see things in my life where I've got my head in the sand. You know, my children are 11 and 13, and I've got to figure out how to put them through college since we did put everything at risk. But, you know, again, I'm confident that that will all work out. So anyway, the women who are listening to this call who think you have it all together. I still believe that reading this book and hearing 
what red had to go through to take her head out of the sand and what black had to go through to get her out of the sand is something that that is uh, you will find it really beneficial. So point number two is this overwhelming amount of information that if you haven't been the one to manage the finances or you've acquiesced the finances and you find yourself, again, uh, you know, single or in charge of it, later in life, um, the second one is eating the elephant one bite at a time. This is probably one of my favorite things because even today, um, we wrote a book, we, we speak at speaking engagements, you know, we, we teach, we're columnists, and even today you would think, you know, have it all together, would know all the stuff, remember all this stuff, and probably at least once a week I kind of say to myself or I say to Block over the phone, okay, it's time to eat an elephant. And it's just how she got me to realize that things that may seem overwhelming, you know, that mountain of paper, you know, on your desk or, you know, learning about certain aspects of financing, you know, you can do it. You just kind of have to do it one bite at a time. And that's the first time she goes, you can eat an elephant just one bite at a time. And I'm like, where do you come up with this stuff? You know, and I'm rolling my eyes, but it's such a great phrase. And even my daughter now, who, who's 13, you know, she'll. This is where I'm saying this is not rocket science, and it applies to any right. age, as you said. You can be 13 or or have that MBA, and you know, she'll come home from school, and there there'll be like five different term projects and everything. And, and I can tell she's overwhelmed. You know, no, no more so than when I get overwhelmed by things. And I'm like, right. we can sit, take a deep breath, you know, just one step at a time, and sometimes just. By doing that and recognizing it and, and breaking it down, it gives you that sense of control and it gives right. you that sense of okay, I'm in charge. I'm not just reacting. You know, I'm, I'm being proactive, and it can it just makes all the difference. Well, and when you take things into keeping this analogy going, you know, bite-sized pieces, well, then you feel like you've accomplished something because you're mm-hmm. setting yourself up for success versus looking at the whole project and going, you know, I'm never going to get this done. And so then it's either an all-or-nothing decision, which is just totally overwhelming and causes stress, versus if you just break it into pieces and all of a sudden you're, you're accomplishing things. You're like, okay, I did that. I'm moving forward. And just the, the impact it has in your attitude and feeling confident that the rest of it will happen makes a huge right. difference. Right. And, and then so the next talk- one... Oh, I'm sorry, Red. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and when she kind of, like, got me to understand that concept, then all of a sudden I was able to manage my time better because I could Mm -hmm. see how, okay, if I've broken something down or I understand what I need to do, then all of a sudden I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make better use of a 15-minute slot. I'm going to make better use of an hour slot. So all of a sudden I found myself, you know, when I allowed myself to just stop, think, you know, to manage my time better. It was like almost like a domino effect. Right. So the next two, I think, actually go with one another, and that's that communication includes dialogue, and it's not one way. And then uh, number four is actually to be honest with the mirror. And I think that the honesty that was learned throughout this book, and again, I I will uh, say that I I think both of you learned this lesson in different ways, um, you know, had to do with prioritizing, and it wasn't all about the you know, uh, imparting the the financial wisdom, but really understanding life priorities. Exactly. That was, and that again, that went with one of the reasons why you know why Black couldn't tell me what to do. Everybody's values and priorities are different. Are different, 
And, you know, once you truly can be honest with yourself and you decide what your own personal values and priorities are, because it's different from person to person, and there is no right or no wrong, then that, again, it allows you to start making smarter, conscious decisions and being honest. It also makes decision-making easier when you know what your, your long-term goal or what your priorities are, because then it either fits or it doesn't, versus just looking at something as a standalone decision. Right, right. So then, uh, you know, wrapping this up, there, there. Uh, one of the points was it, it's just stuff and fluff. That you know, that there are so many things that we get tied up in that that really aren't important. And and I, I'm remembering the story of when you were moving into your your new house, uh, Red, and and you were looking at saving money on a TV and then you know spending money on a chair. And you, you know, you didn't really need the chair. You know, it would have been nice to have and. Uh, you know, I've got this money left over in my hand burning a hole. Exactly. And uh, in, in Dave Ramsey uh, parlance, we call that you're the free spirit. And unfortunately, black, that means that you're the nerd, which is the other Dave <laughs> Ramsey uh, parlance. But the nerd always takes a look at, at the whole long-term picture and doesn't get tied up in the stuff and the fluff and and the shiny, you know, the shiny penny that's all, always getting your attention. So, you know, I think the last... Um, Two points again. Uh, they they certainly follow one another. Slow down and enjoy, and and life can change in an is, instant. And whether it's a spouse getting fired, you know, I've, I've had a number of women in my life who've lost their husbands at, at very very early ages, and again, they never ever thought they were going to have to turn around and deal with everything. Um, but you know, life happens, and you know, family members getting seriously ill, uh, etc. Um, so slow down and enjoy was a, a very, very important uh, point about this book. And, and if you read it for nothing else, uh, it's that. But, you know, the last one I want to hone in on a little bit because I, I started this week uh, speaking at a, a leadership luncheon. And uh, the topic of my talk was black holes and diamonds. And if you've ever looked at a diamond mine, it's a very, very large hole in the ground. And if you plot out your life, there are black holes that you think you will never, ever be able to crawl out of them. But there's always a diamond uh, that comes out of that. And, you know, the same thing can be said of, of uh, grapes and fine wine having to go through that pressing process. And, uh, you know, pearls in the sand and, you know, just on and on. Nature gives us a lot of those things. So, so the last point is that crisis equals opportunity. So... Uh, as we're we're closing in the next couple of minutes, uh, why don't you each comment on that? Oh, for me, it's easy. Um, it's it's what I was mentioning earlier. Um, for me, the single biggest opportunity, and I go through this, you know, like I said before, in a heartbeat, was the opportunity that it allowed me to now make sure my my girls um, are better equipped, have a better understanding of finances. So you're not and raising ostriches. I'm not raising ostriches. And I have to tell you a funny story. I mean, we, we I took my daughter to Austin. I literally just got back the other day for her 13th birthday. And one of her favorite things to do in Austin is there's a very old-time candy store, the proverbial kid in a candy store. And before we even got there, Natasha, who turned 13, and, and so- Sawyer, who's 8, going on 38, um, the very first thing they said before we walked in was, well, what's our budget? And I kind of look at them, and I go, well, it's, you know, you each have $5. And I hand them each a $5 bill, and they go, okay. So they run in there, 
and I'm just kind of watching them. And they're they're measuring things because, you know, there's things that are by the pound, and they're running up to the cashier, and they're going, well, how much does this weigh? Okay, and they're figuring out how much they have left, and they're just very making conscious decisions. Well, they all finish up, and I just assume that they will have spent their $5. And so right. they finish up, they show me what they got, and they each proceed. I didn't even have to ask them. They each proceed to tell me, I think Natasha spent $2 and Sora, I think, spent 3 because we were going to stop it on the way home. One of their favorite places in the world is this Bucky's. It's just this gas station, and they have all these, like, snacks. And they said, well, we know what your budget is at Bucky's, and we want to get some other things, so we didn't spend everything here so that we'd have a little bit to spend at Bucky's. And I was like, my work is done. <laughs> so it's just that opportunity to have taught my girls. And there's no way in a million years that would ever have happened and I would have ever, never have taught my girls because I didn't even understand what a budget was when this happened right. back in January of 2004. Well, I guess my my aspect of looking at how it's an opportunity, that's how I pretty much have looked at everything in life. I look at things um as opportunities, this has opened, I guess, a, a new path as as we go into the world of education. But the other thing that I've seen at the risk of sounding warm and fuzzy um, is the fact I didn't realize how empowering knowledge was until I watched the transformation in my sister. Mm-hmm. And she not only gained knowledge and being able to make intelligent decisions, but her self-confidence. And I never really thought about that until I witnessed it. Right. Well, you've done a lot in in your life and been blessed uh, to be able to share uh, the benefits in your life through through your work uh, with the foundation, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And now, uh, Mandy, you have also left your legacy that uh, is going to impact uh, multiple generations, and, and I think that that really is the amazing thing, and, and it, it definitely is an opportunity. And I don't want to give away the book, but uh, you do have some elephants on your horizon. We're not going to talk about it today because we have run out of time. But um, I will make uh, life exciting. It does, and I will just tell you guys there is another book in the wings. There, there is a a uh, story at the end of the story that uh, just begs another book and uh, run don't walk uh, to buy this book because again I think no matter where you are in in your financial uh, education there is someone in your life that needs this book and whether it's a young girl or or you know I mean it, it certainly is also a book I, I think that would be very very beneficial for men. In fact, I, I want my husband to read it simply because we're still going through, um, you know, what decisions are we going to make now so we don't repeat some of the things that we did. You know, we didn't have money saved for a rainy day to cover the level of risk we took on in our life. And, you know, now we have a chance uh, to start over, but I'm 53 and he's 60. So, you know, the time frame to to get that done uh, is much, much shorter. So, you guys, I just cannot tell you um, how much fun this has been. And uh, I just can't wait uh, to interview you guys about the second book. Well, great. I guess i got to start writing. Start writing. (laughs) I've got all the emails and instant messages (laughs) saved, so I'm good. (laughs) Well, well, I just wanted to thank you so much for having us on. Um, I can't speak for Black, but this has been a lot of fun. So thank you so much. 
Well, great. Well, uh, as I said, it will be posted uh, no later than tomorrow morning. Patty generally gets it uh, done on Friday nights if she can. And uh, so it will be available, and we will be promoting it, uh, you know, throughout our social network, which is pretty substantial, even outside it is, of the executive yeah. girlfriend group. Very impressive group, so. social network. Well, yeah, thank well, you that's again. what I did in the in the year after I shut my company down. I had to do something, so I learned social media. <laughs> so maybe you guys can help me write my well, book. As, as Patty can testify with our emails that have gone back and forth, if it has to do with computers or websites or anything like that. Black's your girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I just hope you have an amazing weekend, and it is Thanks. time. Uh, it, it's time to pull out that glass of wine if you haven't already. Oh, it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Thanks again. Head. We really okay. enjoyed this. Okay. All Thanks. right. Terrific. Thank you guys so much. Okay. okay have a great weekend. You too. Bye.